Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, July 1, 2022. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Senior Writer, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. You have returned from a long weekend in Washington, D.C., Andrew, where you attended the annual conference of the American Library Association, the first such in-person event in three years. As a bonus, the U.S. Supreme Court released several important rulings during that time, including the historic reversal of Roe v. Wade, eliminating a constitutional right to abortion at the federal level and returning regulation of abortion to the states. Yeah, it was the first in-person ALA annual conference since the pandemic forced the 2020 and 2021 meetings to go virtual only. Uh, it closed on Tuesday this week in Washington, D.C. And yeah, you know, like nothing to see here <laughs> in Washington, right? Uh, and I mean, we talked about this, right, Chris? Just before I left for D.C., we were having a chat and I mentioned that I was sure when the court added that Friday day as a day to release rulings, I was positive the Roe decision was going to come down while we were in D.C. Of course it did. But, you know, my own personal view, your politics may vary, is that, you know, what a devastating decision, right? Eviscerating woman's right to choose. And many legal observers say, thanks to a line added in a lone concurrence by Clarence Thomas, potentially imperiling other rights, such as access to contraception and marriage equality. And, you know, the library community, they are politically active. So, this reverberated quite deeply at ALA with the library community in town. Now, you know, it was impossible for me and for many librarians in D.C. not to think back to 2015, uh, which was really kind of a magical year for the ALA conference, because in 2015, ALA was in San Francisco and many librarians then took to the streets over a Supreme Court decision. That time, though, it was to celebrate the historic Supreme Court decision that legalized same-sex marriage, right, in Obergefell. Furthermore, it was Pride Weekend. <laughs> and further, furthermore, the ALA's keynote speaker that day in 2015 was Roberta Kaplan, the lawyer who had two years earlier to the day argued the landmark Windsor case, the Supreme Court case that saw the Defense of Marriage Act overturned. Uh, needless to say, the convention center in San Francisco was a ghost town that day in 2015. Librarians went out to the parade, they celebrated, and they generally felt really hopeful. You know, also that weekend, I remember, we were grappling with a mass shooting, right? A racially motivated mass shooting in Charleston. And that's the weekend that President Barack Obama sang Amazing Grace. Uh, and suddenly, you know, in the midst of this tragedy, we all sort of felt really hopeful that day in D.C. You know, we have a president that gets it, right? Someone who can reflect empathy. Uh, we have a court that gets it. And in my story, when I got to ALA this week, I, I quoted from Kaplan's speech on, on that Friday when the Roe decision came out. And I printed it out here because I think it's a neat look back. Robbie Kaplan told librarians that day in 2015, that it's all too easy in today's world of Twitter, Instagram, Fox News, and MSNBC to fall prey to a pervasive kind of cynicism, to assume that everything is part of some big inside game and that cases don't get decided on the merits, but for other less principled reason, reasons. Excuse me. But I'd like to offer today's decision in Obergefell and the 2013 decision in Windsor as an antidote to that kind of cynicism. Well, that quote has just aged terribly. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, many librarians in 2022 once again took to the streets for during the ALA conference, 
but for a very different reason. Just seven years later, in the wake of more mass shootings, including a racially motivated shooting in Buffalo and a school massacre in Uvalde, and now with a politicized court expanding gun rights and shredding uh, precedent to eviscerate a woman's right to choose and potentially imperiling other rights, you know, I think librarians were happy to be together in D.C. for this. In stark contrast to 2015, however, that cynicism that Robbie Kaplan spoke of sort of getting rid of seven years ago, well, it seemed very well justified. And last week, Andrew, you said you felt the ALA needed to exceed expectations with this year's conference. So what have you heard? Well, it was an interesting show. I mean, it was blistering hot in D.C. and you had this terrible court case, all of which I think impacted people's moods a little bit. But look, let me back up a second. By the numbers, the show was quite respectable and and a new high watermark really for a return to in-person events in the book business. ALA officials reported 13,990, so just shy of 14,000 total registrations. 8,023 of which were attendees, so that's librarians, right? And 5,133 were exhibitors. Now, that ratio is a little bit weird, right? The ratio of attendees to vendors is awfully close. Usually, you have over 10,000 attendees and 5,000, 6,000 exhibitors, but this ratio is a little closer to that. And I think it reflects something that we've been talking about quite a bit on the show, which is that publishers and vendors are sort of kicking the tires on ALA because there's no book expo anymore. And we've heard from a lot of publishers that ALA might take on new importance as a place to gather because, you know, no one is really eager to sort of stand up another book expo. So if they can have their meetings and have a stage to break authors on at ALA, well, there you go. Uh, So we should also note by in comparison that the last in-person annual conference for the ALA was in 2019 also held in Washington, D.C., which makes for a neat comparison. And that drew 21,460 attendees. Uh, The 2018 conference in New Orleans drew 17,599. So you have to say, getting 13,990 after a pandemic compared to what you got in New Orleans, say, in 2018, just under 18,000, those are decent numbers, right? I would say those numbers exceeded expectations. Also, anecdotally, all the publishers and vendors that I spoke to said they were very happy with the traffic that they saw on the show floor and with the meetings that they had. And I can attest the show floor was actually quite busy. There were long lines for book signings and demos and galley pickups. So the vendors were happy with the return. And I think that's a bit of a big deal. So, yeah, you can check that box. In that sense, ALA exceeded expectations. All right, then. So check that box on exceeding expectations. But There are other boxes on the list. Yeah. You know, here's something that really struck me too. And the first, this is the the, probably the the least important thing, but ALA reported it had a digital component only this year too, which you would expect after two years of doing virtual only shows. And it only reported 834 digital registrants. And that is a really surprisingly low number given the ALA's success with digital events over the last two years and its stated commitment to really, you know, use digital and use virtual to increase engagement with its membership. Now, the ALA's 2021 annual conference, which was virtually only. And of course, it's an unfair comparison because it was headlined by Barack Obama. But that virtual only show drew 9,142 attendees. That's a lot of people to get online. And the ALA's inaugural LibLearnX conference, the successor to the now discontinued ALA midwinter meeting, drew more than 2,100 attendees in January, even though a lot of people didn't know what it was. And it was also forced to go virtual only sort of late in the game. 
So I think something needs to happen with the ALA's virtual game for ALA conferences, ALA annual conferences, at least in the future, because we've talked a lot about engagement. We've talked a lot about the power of hybrid events, but 894 digital only registrants is a low number. And, you know, overall, too, I'd point back to back in March, right, when you had 4,000 in-person attendees at the PLA's Biennial Conference of Portland, Oregon. PLA, of course, is the largest and probably the most popular division of ALA. And that was really the first major library conference in two years. And that show was a really happy show. It very much felt like a reunion. This conference, by contrast, really felt more like an attempt to get back to business. And that's good in some ways. But, you know, that whole the whole feeling of a reunion kind of was lacking a little bit here. And where it gets a little complicated is that, well, frankly, business for the ALA is kind of complicated right now. Remember, librarians arrived in Washington amid a host of significant issues, right? All of which was really reflected in a, in a solid, wide-ranging professional program, which I'll be writing about more in the coming weeks. You know, there was equity, diversity, and inclusion issues that were taken up on panels. You had the safety of library workers and patrons. You had the ongoing battle for equitable access to eBooks and misinformation. And of course, maybe most prominently was the rise of book bans and other actions to undermine the freedom to read. And all of this took a really ugly twist in the days leading up to ALA when we started hearing all these reports of far-right groups like the Proud Boys showing up to actually menace attendees at children's events at various libraries. And on top of all this, ALA has also been reorganizing. And for a while now, it's been reorganizing, going back to before the pandemic. But this is not an easy process, right? It never is for any organization, certainly not for a membership organization like the ALA. And as I mentioned, maybe last week, it was last week's podcast, some key people have left the organization. And I have to say, it's, at times, it really felt like this show was kind of pulled off on a razor's edge. And what really struck me is that the librarians that I spoke to, you know, the vendors were all pretty happy with the numbers, but the librarians I spoke to were willing to tell me that, yes, they were really happy to reconnect in person with their friends and colleagues, but they all sort of withheld comment for now about how they really felt about ALA in the future. And look, I'm definitely going to be writing more about this year's conference and getting into more about what librarians are feeling about ALA in the coming weeks. Uh, I just have a short wrap up in Monday's magazine that's focusing more on the fact that you know we're back and that the vendors are happy, frankly, because it's the July 4th weekend and it's you know kind of a light weekend. But I'm going to be taking up these issues in the future because I think it's really important that ALA get off the mark here, that they hear what their members are saying and that you know there, there's a chance to really sort of look at what the opportunity that's available here because publishers and vendors at ALA Annual are sort of kicking the tires about can this be their new – big show. Can it take Book Expo's place? That really is a huge opportunity for ALA. But ALA also really needs to get its house in order, right? And it has to if it wants to seize this opportunity and grow the ALA show back to its former glory. And one final point, too, is like next up on the ALA calendar is the second annual LibLearnX show. And that's set to run from January 23 to 27, 2023 in New Orleans. So great location. And while I think it's unlikely that COVID-19 is going to force LibLearnX to go virtual again, like it did in 2022, there's some definite economic and political challenges to that show that I think the ALA has to try to get out in front of. Uh, there's also a branding challenge. For one, nobody really knows what LibLearnX is, right? They all know what the mid or meeting was. 
But LibLearnX is kind of a mystery to many people. And you couple that with the fact that librarians are telling me that their travel budgets are very much in question given the current state of the economy. Eh, that's kind of a problem. And then politically, we've also heard a lot of talk at this year's ALA that some state agencies might very well boycott travel to states where abortion is now illegal or where educational gag orders such as, you know, Florida's don't say gay law are in place. So, you know, I do think it's a victory that ALA pulled off its annual conference. I think it's a victory that the vendors were happy with it. I think there's an opportunity here to bring the ALA show back big time. But also, this isn't going to be easy for many reasons. And, you know, publishers tell me that they are looking forward to next year's event. Uh, that's set for ALA's hometown of Chicago, June 23rd to 27, 2023. And the ALA conferences in Chicago are typically among the best attended. So that's something I'm circling on my calendar right now. You got a year, right? And I'm looking forward to, you know, a year later, having a lot of good stuff to report when we have this conversation. For publishers, the top story this week is a high-tech nightmare. Big Five publisher Macmillan saw its back office systems go down for days. What do we know about what happened? Yeah, you know, not much. And you know, I'm glad we're talking about it a little bit this week because it's something we're certainly going to be following up on. Uh, but yeah, Macmillan systems have apparently been grounded. And we don't know that much except that they're sort of getting back online today. Earlier, later, earlier this week, they got back a little bit. But all we know is that the Macmillan publishing operation in the U.S. and the U.K. reported a security incident that involved, and I'll quote here, the encryption of certain files on the publisher's network, and it forced the publisher to fully close its virtual and physical office. And crucially, it stopped book orders. So what we don't know is whether this is a ransom attack or just some DDoS attack or an internal meltdown, but it's scary for sure. You know, we'll, we'll let you know what we know as soon as we hear it, but we certainly wish Macmillan officials luck in getting this straightened out. And it's just another reminder of just how much we rely on technology today. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer, thanks for joining me on the program. My pleasure, as always. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening to this Velocity of Content podcast from CCC. 